Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Welcome to Trailer Rewind, a monthly conversation about movies you may have missed in theaters that are now available to watch at home on streaming services. Every month, we dig into the archives and watch a film that Pete and Andy talked about in their trailer picks. We watch it and have a very spoilery conversation about it. 
Today, we're talking about Ben Wheatley's film, Free Fire. This was Andy's pick from September 15th, 2016. Today is August 16th, 2018, and Free Fire is currently available to stream on Amazon Prime. Before we go any further, we want to encourage you to explore our ever-expanding back catalog for this show and sibling shows over at thenextreel.com. Over on the main show, Pete and Andy are hunting down the secrets of the original Planet of the Apes. The film board is going to be solving the Happy Time murders coming up, and because one of the stars of Free Fire is Brie Larson. I want to direct everyone to a speakeasy episode Pete and Andy recorded with Dee Wallace talking about Room. You can find all of this and more over at our website, thenextreel.com. Here he is. A thousand apologies. Hate when people are tardy. It's good to meet you, boys. Thanks for coming out. Let's buy some guns, eh? Check out the merch. That's not what he ordered. He ordered M16s, different weapon. You want the weapons or you don't want the weapons? Here we go. Oh, now we're cooking. We'd like to leave with our money. Uh-huh. And I'm sure that you boys would like to leave with the weapons. Go for the case. What? You're a bird. They're not going to shoot the bird. Ah! Here we go. Look out for so JJ, yeah. it was almost two years. Yes. It was almost two years ago when Andy picked this trailer. He said he liked the simple concept of a shootout in a warehouse being the focus of the film, and that it's that setup gave a lot of room for comedy and characters. And he said it looked raucous, raunchy, and over the top. Pete, raunchy? Yes, that's what he said. Pete said it raunchy. Pete, okay. Pete said it looked like a movie made on a dare. Yeah. Which I can understand. This sounds like one of those twenty-four totally. hour film challenges. Okay, you've got you've got one location. Get, do a shootout that takes place. You know, for the majority of a film, go. You've got twenty-four hours. Make it so. Did Ben Wheatley pull it off with Free Fire? Did this work with a movie that is set sort of in real time, single location, big action movie shootout, lots of bullets, lots of bodies? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very innovative concept for a film. And in that, con- you know, what Pete's saying about it being made on a dare or the feeling like it being made on a dare, I think you definitely get that sense when you're going through it. I think, uh, and I think that's neat. I think it, it's cool. I will tell you that um, I didn't know a whole lot going in uh, from the beginning of it. So I read, you know, I just read the description and I just kind of glossed over the bit about that it was a comedy. <laughs> and so I didn't remember that it was funny until we got pretty far into like the free fire fire fight. So I, so it was, um, it was, it was tense actually for me through a lot of the beginnings. I was like, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? So I forgot. I think, I think it's important for you, for anyone watching this movie to remember that this is comedic. And it, if you don't, if you're like me and you don't remember that when you watch this movie, it will come to a point where you'll be like, Oh yeah, this is actually kind of funny and funny in a way of like in a pulp fiction, like I just shot Marvin in the face, funny <laughs> kind of thing, which I busted out loud laughing in the theater about this is going to do that to you in a couple of times when there's going to be some ricochets and crazy gun stuff that's going to make you laugh and in a strange way it how did, did, did it hit you that way steve well yes it did and I'm, I'm glad you bring up pulp fiction because this as i was thinking about 
recommending this film? Who who is going to enjoy this film? And <laughs> it reminded me of very much Quentin Tarantino, like you know, like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, where you've got yeah, a lot of Reservoir Dogs, a lot of more like that. yes, you've got a lot of violence, you've got a lot of profanity, you've got blood and bullets, but you do have these really interesting characters that great that create great moments of comedy. But it doesn't it doesn't play itself as I guess comic because the characters are all taking the situation very seriously and ridiculous things happen but for them it's 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 a very serious matter i mean the whole setup is we've got the you know the tense situation of these guys are coming in from out of the country to buy these guns we've got a lot of money at stake we've got a lot of guns at stake creates you know a tense situation and then the complications start to happen where you just have you know coincidences where one guy happened to have the night before gotten into a barroom brawl with a guy from the other side. So you've got Steve-O, you know, with, with the Irish over here and, and Harry with the gun dealers and Steve-O allegedly, you know, did something to Harry's cousin and put her in the hospital. So now you've got... Yeah, they called it bottled. Do they mean that they broke? he broke a bottle on her head? No, because he said that she had cuts on her face. Breaking a bottle, slicing, slicing her face. So, yeah, gruesome, brutal stuff, and that that causes you know a you know some tensions between the two groups, and you know with with guys being guys, nobody's going to back down, and then things just escalate uh, from there. And I, I looked at this, and it is about twenty seven minutes in is when the first shots are fired. So we've got the first. So I had twenty. I had twenty nine or thirty one minutes of drama then for me before yes. I started laughing at it. <laughs> So you've got all this buildup of you get to we get to know all these characters and it's a really interesting cast that we have at, because we've got some very familiar sort of like a list faces because we've got uh, Brie Larson we have uh, Army Hammer we have uh, and I'm, I always butcher his name is it Cillian or Killian Murphy. I think it's Cillian. Cillian, Cillian Murphy. Murphy um, we have Charlto. Maybe it's Killian. Killian, Killian sounds Killian? like it could be right, See, too. I, I'm bad with my accents. Uh, we've got Charlto Copley. Uh, we've got, I didn't recognize Noah Taylor, but looking at IMDb, I'm like, I know Noah Taylor, but I didn't recognize him, I think, because of the mustache. Uh, so we've yeah. got, you know, some very recognizable faces. But then we have some other supporting cast. Uh, we have Jack Rayner from Sing Street. He's the older brother. So he had a, a very familiar, oh, familiar voice. So he, pl- that's what he's, he from. plays, yeah. he plays Harry. So we have a great cast of and he's characters. Great in Sing Street. Yes. Yeah. And we have a great cast of characters that we get set up at the beginning half hour of this movie. So we get a sense of, their their motives and are they honorable people or not? Charlton Copley plays Vernon, and early on we get a sense he's just like the shady, like used car salesman. Whereas we've got you know Brie Larson who's there, and as she said, she's just in it for herself. Army Hammer, I I love him in this movie. He has I think really struggled to find the genre or character type that is a good fit for him. You know, everybody knows him from the social sure. network, you know, the the, yeah. the Lone Ranger thing the r- really struggled. But here, yeah. and then uh, just earlier this summer, I had a chance to see uh, Sorry to Bother You, and he plays a similar character. He does really well with the sort of odd gentleman type. It's sort of this quirky yeah. gentleman. And 
it works really well here. He's sort of the the middleman. Uh, he and Brie Larson are these two characters that sort of play the middle between these two sides. You know, each representing uh, one. You know, Army representing the gun seller and and Brie representing the gun buyers. And so they really don't have a lot at stake. And it was interesting for me to watch how as everything gets ratcheted up, sort of as the testosterone level gets ratcheted up as the build up to the the shootout to see how everyone sort of reacts and which sides they take or how involved they get into sort of the argument and how they uh, try to diffuse the situation. So it's, I think the first half hour does a great job of setting up the characters. And then once things start, once, once the first shots are fired, We've got, you've got, I think, what, about an hour of uh, shootout for the remainder of this film. Well, it's a lot of shooting at people's ankles and calf muscles <laughs> and uh, collarbones <laughs> and a lot of non-lethal ricochet action is what this movie's about. And that, but that's it, 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 where it sits in the comedy aspect of it. And I, I guess, you know, I, I put it into that. It, it was tense for a while. And, and, and the one liners leading up to the tent to, to where I finally remembered that it was a comedy, they kind of fall flat if you're, if you're not viewing it the right way. Um, so the movie that I, um, that I, 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 I want to liken this to is, is one that I would put in a little bit of my guilty pleasure box. And it's a movie that comes from, I mean, it's like a B movie. It's called The Immortals with uh, Eric Roberts in it. Um, I don't even know how to describe it. It doesn't even come up on IMDb when it goes up there. But it's a story of how Eric Roberts gathers this crew of uh, of people who all have terminal diseases to to pull off this big heist for for him. And when I say it's like it's got a whole bunch of B folks, right? You got Eric Roberts, Joe Pantoliano, Tia Carrera, um, you know Chris Rock. These are the people that are that are in this. Uh, uh, and and it's filled with really kind of lowbrow even like premium cable jokes but there's a scene in it where they have i I think the only way to describe it is they have a standoff with guns and right the word for that is the mexican standoff with guns right Right. where everyone puts a gun on a person yes so you've got these two sides and they're standing in the kitchen and the two sides are very calmly saying, okay, uh, Bonnie, you put your gun on this person. And, they, and they're just going, and this is a whole sort of comic thing. But again, it's it's set up with this dramatic piece. So I would – it's from 1995. It's called The Immortals. It's with Eric Roberts. And strangely enough, Eric Roberts looks quite a bit like Cillian Murphy. Uh, but beyond <laughs> that um, – the the point is is that this movie gets free fire gets a lot more fun when you let go with some of the drama and i think and there's different points of this where you know for the graphic nature from what andy called brunchy i think is really more um some of the intense language like you talked about um with with that stuff that's it's going to threaten to bring you down but if you keep that sort of quentin tarantino that sort of sort of you know just uh, distanced um feeling about it. I think you end up liking this movie. The first part that I laughed is when you mentioned, oh, I'm going to mess up his name now again too, but uh, Charlto Copley, Vern, yes. Vern, the South African uh, Vern, uh, he says something in the middle of the firefight. He says, now I'm just uh, insulted, is what he said. Yes. And he comes out and then he immediately gets shot in the leg and, and falls to the ground. And everyone's just getting hobbled. I mean, that's yes. it's really what it is. It's, it's, it's free fire of hobbling one another in this wild thing. But it becomes very funny. And that's and that's I think the way to watch this movie is is to just enjoy it for its comedic sense. 
This is a long, drawn-out gunfight, and people are getting, yes, they're getting shot in, like, the, the shoulder and in the calf, and they slowly are, are worn down, and their their aim gets worse and worse as they go on, because some of them are, are bleeding out. Uh, but it, it, does, it does take that, you know, idea of in the big gunfight, like you can get shot and you're, you, you're fine. You can, you can live, you can limp your way across to get out. And how many bolts does it take to take someone down? And whether you're getting shot directly or it's a ricochet or you were accidentally shooting somebody that you didn't mean to shoot. Uh, yeah, it just takes that sort of trope that we're all familiar with of in a shootout. You know, somebody can get shot in the, shot in the arm and they're okay. Uh, but here we, we drag that out over really long period of time and we move from just sort of the general warehouse area where the the gunfight was going on then we get two snipers that show up out of nowhere and start shooting so that sort of unites the two sides against the the two snipers briefly but then we have a a phone in an upstairs office and so some of our some of our cast slowly drag their bodies across the warehouse up the stairs into the hallway <laughs> to try to, to try to get to the phone to you know call for help, get some uh, you know assistance and backup there. So we I think the movie does within an within that hour long shootout we have a lot of characters to keep track of. Uh, we do move from place to place, uh, but for me it you know Ben Wheatley did a very nice job of always keeping me oriented. I always had a sense of where really and, and for me I always you felt oriented. I I did. I knew where people were. You know, I I may not have known always who was alive at which point, but as they moved around, did you know who was in whose sights? Okay, I mean that's so okay. one problem I have yes. with, with uh, okay. the Wheatley's thing yes. here is that he would show he would give you a reverse shot mm. of the room to show you someone moving. But then the next shot was not anyone's perspective. So I would lose if the person was moving would be coming. I couldn't figure out if from, from the director's point of view, if he was showing us the person that was moving and then next moving to the person who was most likely to shoot them. Or I never could tell whether the okay. people that were moving were in jeopardy from the next people. There didn't seem to be a great flow from shot to shot regarding everyone's position in the room. And that's what disoriented me more than anything. I, I, I get your point there. Yeah, I, I guess okay. I knew always when someone would move to someone else. Okay, so Chris was over here with, with Frank, and he dragged himself over to Steve-O. So, okay, I know Chris and Steve-O are, are over here somewhere. But I guess, yes, geographically, in terms of line of sight, um, yeah, that was not always particularly clear, I guess, as you you know pointed out in, in the editing of where we're moving from angle to angle, where are we seeing from. And I think from? ultimately okay. – Yes, that would be something that would be an amazing creating creative leap to take with this film, especially since you do many times, like you mentioned with Army Hammer's mm -hmm. character Ord, when he leaves his bunkered setup behind the gun boxes, and and then walks around the van to go the other way. It, you uh, the all you have is the generalized anxiety of the fact that he's moving and might come into contact with someone's line of sight. You don't really know who he's moving towards. You have a, you kind of have a sense of it, but you don't really know that kind of stuff. I think, um, if there would be some way to set it up, I assume it's a choice. I don't know this to be true, but my assumption is that that was a choice to leave it that way, to make it more organic and give you more of the feeling of what it would be like to be in that 
situation, that sort of generalized anxiety of being in a firefight like that. I don't know if that's true, but it was disorienting to me as a viewer. And that's interesting because I did read that um, as part of prep for this, that Ben Wheatley built in Minecraft sort of the the warehouse he sort you know he sort of did his previs in minecraft of the layout of the warehouse and where where things are going to take place so i think you know going back to your point i think part of it is to create that sense of uh you know disorientation and also i think when you have a shootout that is normally a scene that may take place over in a, in a typical movie maybe just a couple of minutes and when we ha- spend an hour with these people it conveys that sense of exhaustion at you you really move with everybody from we start off with the gun deal and within you know the first 20 minutes that we got shots fired and then an hour later you know some are dead some are just you know bleeding out exhausted and to me i think that structure of shooting it nearly real time ish uh gets that sense of how worn down everyone gets to the point where that's that's why they're dragging themselves across and then uh you know we get um one more sort of outsider that that comes in near the end this is some backup that was coming in for the irish when um leary shows up and i thought okay we've got somebody that hasn't been shot at all and has a confrontation with Harry, throws Harry over the van. I thought, okay, this, this is, he's gonna, this is the guy that can come in and, and finish this off because he hasn't been shot. He's fine. But then, you know, Harry hits him with the crowbar and that's, that's the end of, of Leary. That's all it does. Yeah. Goes down hard. <laughs> that, that's all talking. And then Harry's dragging himself into the van, driving the van. And even the van, you know, is sort of exhausted and wounded at this point because he's... Yeah, dr- it's bleeding it's, out it's, as well. It's bleeding out as well because he's trying, he's got the money, he's trying to get away, he's driving, and it's just slowly creeping around, you know, the, the warehouse. So we, we have, again, that sense of just time that has passed and how damaged everyone is for me it yes it's a comedy but again it's a it doesn't play itself as a comedy and that's the thing that i think no. is the challenge with this film because i i watched it once and then i watched it a second time to just revisit some some pieces to prep for you know talking with you and I didn't find as much humor in it the first time because I was approaching it more seriously and I found myself laughing. And then the second time, knowing that it is that that comedy, I'm able to laugh a little bit more. But for me, it, it works really well taking it as a straight, you know, action shooter that is slightly cartoonish. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you when you bring up Tarantino in it. I don't think it's uh, because it has that quality that we were talking about, about it feeling like it was made on a bet, it doesn't necessarily have the quality of, of, of a Tarantino film that's a feature and, you know, all the way thought through like that. And you mentioned all the characters. They, they don't have the depth of a Tarantino cast, really, you know, in this thing. But it's that kind of movie. And it, it's it, this is the kind, that's the kind of person that, that you would recommend this movie to. I think the best... Uh, Tarantino parallel to draw here is Reservoir Dogs. I, I felt that way when I saw it. I, I mentioned The Immortals. Reservoir Dogs is another one. Another one that I thought about was Smoke and Aces. Do you remember that movie? Oh, yeah. Did you ever watch that movie? Yes, yes, I uh, did. With a yeah. bunch of sort of random stars playing really eclectic characters about some assassination attempt, I think in Tahoe. It was, uh, it was in Nevada in some place. But I mean, it was all this kind of thing. It's this whole kind of thing where it's a dramatic 
uh, gun filled <laughs> sequence, uh, that also is, has some lighthearted, uh, moments that are meant to be fun in their absurdity. And I think that's, I think that's the essence of something like Tarantino. And I think they did that. They did that to some degree, uh, in an interesting way in this movie too. Yeah. I think, you know, when you populate a film with a cast of characters that are not likable people. For me, the again, the most likable right. you've got uh, Army Hammer is is Ord and Brie Larson is is Justine because to me they seem the most rational uh, people that can distance themselves from everything. They've got something to gain from this, but they're not a hundred and ten percent committed. They are at several points just willing to to step back and just let these two gangs sort of have at it with each other. Let their testosterone just take over and their anger and frustration and whatever have at it with each other. Those two are, uh, you know, I think set apart. And for that reason, yeah. I feel that they're, they're more likable because they're not just operating sort of at that pure emotion level where for everyone else it's, uh, yeah, it's about anger. It's about protecting my team. Uh, there, there are some. I will admit there are some humorous uh, sort of moments between Ord and Harry, uh, where sure. they, where Harry will ask Ord to do something, or Ord's asking Harry to do something. Like, okay, yeah, but how much are you going to pay me to do that? You know, I, <laughs> you want me to do that? It's going to cost you ten thousand dollars because I'm not, I'm not leaping out from cover to go get that bag of money or I'm not going to expose myself for this unless you pay me some money. Um, yeah. you know, which again gets to the, so everybody sort of base operating level with this is that it is ultimately all about the money. And once, once everybody takes sides, you've got Vern who is trying to talk everybody he knows and to just go get that money for him because he's all about the profit. Um, right. He's Vern. He's, he's Vern. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, what he operates at that's part of the reason why he's brought the guns but not the right guns because he's planning on selling the actual the M- m16s that were requested to another group so we know he is a sort of shady businessman um we've right. got uh just yeah we've got we've got drug addicts we've got just unpleasant people all around so for me I guess that's what adds some lightness to this. You're okay with these people getting killed. You don't feel sympathy or loss for, I think, any of the deaths in this film. Well, and by the end of it, you're so desensitized <laughs> to the gunfire. Yes. I mean, that's the thing, too. Yes. We say, if you like Quentin Tarantino, you guys see this movie. But honestly, you got to really like guns. I had to check the volume in my apartment <laughs> multiple times. I'm like, wait a minute. This might be too loud for my neighbors. This is definitely a film that uh, I I did run over and check the... Uh, Internet firearms movie database. Pete and Andy have often oh, yeah, have often yeah. what did it say? referred to that. So they they do identify uh, the guns that are used in the in the film, and uh, you know so they do a nice job of identifying the film and pulling a nice frame to, to support their identification of the specific uh, you know pistols and revolvers that are used throughout, uh, and they do mm-hmm. point out, and this is I. I find humorous so in the in the gun deal they asked the irish asked for the m16s and Vern brings them the ar-70s and so there's there's you know a talk talk and discussion about that um but apparently they in the film they also use the beretta sc70 which has a sort of foldable st- folding stock to it which is okay. different from the yeah. ar-70 
So okay. those those were the you know specific. We've got you know the Smith Smith and Wesson. Uh, you know we've got some revolvers. So they they if you want to check out the specific uh, guns that are are used, the weapons that are used, you can check out the Internet uh, Movie Firearm database for some of the identification of the of the gear that you will see used in the movie. So, Very cool. Yeah. There's a lot of guns <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> yes, there are. A lot of shooting. A lot of lot of shooting. Overall, I were there, were there anything that you felt fell sh- short in its execution for what you were expecting? Once you realized it was a comedy, uh, anything that you know points or issues that you took with this, where you said this didn't work for you? No, I mean that's the thing. It really needed to be a comedy to for me to kind of take the leap on a lot of the motivation of what people were was were doing in the situation, and the the disorientation was difficult for me. I mean, for example, you mentioned the phone upstairs, like getting to the stairs and the different rooms and where people were in the building, and then there's a fire at one point. I mean, it, there's a bunch of stuff where that kind of stuff made it difficult for me to get myself centered. But if I was able to be light about the movie and just think about it as it's done for comedic effect, then I thought it was i thought it was okay and again ultimately this is a really interesting concept film of something that people think about or will make uh individual scenes in movies so it's really nice to nice to expand on it make it comedic make it interesting and try to execute it in a full, full feature way and so i thought that was cool um it, but but other than those other pieces I, I just think in some ways it's a little bit sloppy in its execution so as I was watching the second time, there were a couple shots that I noted, and I didn't know, since you have a very specific eye for sure. camera usage, I, I noted three instances where there were what I would call unique shots. One is it seems that the camera is mounted on one of the like oxygen tanks as it goes shooting across the floor. Very, very yeah. briefly, there was a camera mounted on the barrel of like Martin's gun. So this is Martin. He gets shot in the head, and then when he... He sort of comes back to life or, you know, to consciousness and is trying to get the money. At one point, he picks up a rifle and he's carrying it around. And there's one point when he lifts it up to shoot. And it seems like the camera was mounted on the rifle because as as he lifts it up, he comes into frame. And also when uh, Leary is fighting with uh, Harry right before he throws him over the van, it's almost as if Larry is grabbing the camera itself and lifting it up. Yeah. So there was a very, very brief, quick shots, unique camera placements. Other than sort of the innovative, you know, oh, I haven't, you know, it, it's unique. It, it didn't do much for me other than sort of call attention to itself because it wasn't done a lot or consistently, or I couldn't explain why at that moment to choose to place the camera there for that specific sort of point of view it seemed like they did it because it was fun yes i mean honestly like that's i agree with you like and and you think the first one you mentioned with the um with the i I thought it was helium or or oxygen whichever but the tanks that go flying through yeah like they only show that for a very short like second before they cut away which to me means something went terribly wrong (laughs) when they had when they had the camera set up for that way i don't know if that's true like maybe they were just trying to make it dynamic but that's how it feels and a a lot of it i think they were just trying some stuff out and 
you know, they were creative ideas that someone had when they storyboarded the setup and they made for some fun cutaways. But again, it doesn't really lend itself to a consistent perspective for the film. And it, it, it you know, it, I don't think that's a negative. It, it goes to the point of having this thing be a fun, comedic, innovative concept film. And those shots, like you said, that you, you notice them and they're kind of, then they're interesting in the way that they come out. So I think, I think that that's cool too. But that being said, I don't feel like this was necessarily meant to be done in an artful way. I think it was meant to be done, uh, for fun, for, to make it interesting. And, and I think it achieves that. So have you seen any other of, uh, Ben Wheatley's films? Cause this is the first of his films that I have seen. And I, I did have fun with this. So I am sort of intrigued about exploring a little bit more of his catalog. Cause I'm not familiar with, I've heard of his other films, haven't seen any of them, but after seeing this and, and appreciated it for its, you know, sort of its Tarantino style, I am sort of considering exploring some of his, his prior films, but I didn't know if you had seen any of his other previous films. I haven't seen anything that's on his list. What in particular uh, draws your interest. You've got Tarantino who's sort of established this and to see someone else sort of working in that genre, having, having fun with this. And for me, it, it was entertaining enough that even on the second view, I thought this is still keeping my attention because it has the potential to be a gimmicky film that doesn't hold up to multiple viewings. But as I watched, you know, revisited parts of this again, I said, you know, there's, the characters are interesting enough to me. the The way that it's filmed in the in the warehouse, it still keeps my attention because how you know how can you keep an audience's attention for an hour when you're just having people shoot each other in one room? And it still kept my attention. So I thought, here's someone that knows how to construct a story and shoot it in a way that that kept my attention. It, it, I've been bored by so many action films that just are going through the motions or I don't care about the characters or there's no stakes involved. This combined, you know, the ability to keep my attention and be entertaining, light and fun that I thought if that is the way he is able to, if he can pull that off here and if that's what his other films are like, I am interested in seeing more of that from him. So I will tell you, just scanning down his list of films and looking at it, most of it looks probably too intense for me, uh, the viewer. I don't know that I would be super into it. That being said, 2015, he's got a movie called High Rise that includes Tom Hiddleston, Jeremy Irons, and Sienna Miller. And I probably would see any movie with those three people in it. So, um, you know, regardless of how intense it is. So that seems interesting to me. But the other stuff, it, it, it's a lot of this sort of uh, crime drama uh, intense gunfight type, or even in some cases, it looks like some of it's uh, some horror related, which is just probably too much for me. Um, but uh, High Rise looks interesting. Okay. I'll check that out. All right. So, how did this one end up uh, falling into your your ranking and list? Well, Flick Chart was a weird one for this one because of that. You know, I, I admire so much of what they're doing here in a novelty way and what they're the concept that they're trying to pull out here, but it when it came up against movies that seemed a little bit more complex, which I particularly like, it usually would fall flat. So it does end up on the bottom half of my group. Uh, you know, my middle point is split. So that's kind of how oh, I okay. judge it. Yeah. So, but where it ends up, I think is a really interesting place. It's number 119 out of a total of 180. And Flickchart says that's 34%. So it's right in that third. What it's below is the original Beverly Hills Cop. 
And what it's above is Kingsman, the Golden Circle, oh, number two. Okay. So you think about yeah. it, those are two movies that also include some firefights. Yes. Right? Oh, so yeah. there's some free fire in both <laughs> those movies. So I think that uh and, and there's a the comedy there. There's there's a comedic element to both of them. So I think that uh I, I think that it's really interesting. I think Free Fire conceptually is better than the second Kingsman movie. And I think ultimately it falls a little short of Beverly Hills Cop, the sort of classic nature of that action comedy. Mm-hmm. How about you? So it ended up a little bit higher for me. This sort of ended up in my uh, slightly above middle group where sort of my three star films fall where it's like I enjoyed this some of these I may revisit some of them I may not revisit again so it ended up at 108 out of 331 which puts it at 67% and it ended oh, wow. just above the first Jack Reacher film okay. and then just below uh, a Netflix original movie called The Discovery which was hmm. a really sort of twisted and dark sci-fi film about the afterlife and some technology and it had Jason Siegel and Robert Redford odd film that struggled in some ways and it so it sort of ended up in this I enjoyed it while I watched it I don't know if I'm going to watch these again but it's not bottom half sure. where I'm like I know I probably won't watch it again so these are ones that I will probably revisit maybe once or twice so yeah, you know, right, right there in the just slightly above my middle ground. And like Super I said, interesting. Yes, right around and better than the first Jack Reacher. That's just a, that's a pretty strong just, statement. Yeah. So like I said, I I had a lot of fun with this one, more fun than I expected. And so it's sort of in that three that's three great. and a half star range for me. Oh yeah, it's about stars. Probably I think three for me too. That's that's where I would set it as well. For Tarantino fans, one to maybe add to the to the watch list, and I think for people that no they don't enjoy tarantino probably one to av- <laughs> avoid but uh plenty of right. plenty of gore plenty of of guns plenty of profanity everything that you're going to expect we didn't even talk about the most gruesome sort of uh, for me the uh oh, the the van rolling over stevo yes. uh yeah yes. that that was one of those cringeworthy moments but yeah. i did uh let's see there's a, a outtake from the the blu-ray that shows how they set that up and that it was actually a practical effect they used they counterbalanced the weight of the the van and put a foam rubber tire there so they actually drove over the actor's head uh because there was no wow. weight or pressure so it was a practical effect that they were able to create right there on on set so uh adds a little bit more realism and to then did that. they use a watermelon <laughs> did they go full gallagher on it <laughs> they they may that you know they don't show that they just they just show that <laughs> oh they don't show that they don't they, That's the they, they just show well the whole piece is that this is a practical effect so they show the setup and then they show um actually director ben wheatley sitting down laying down on the ground to show that this is a safe stunt for the actor and they drive the van right over his head so yes well in the movie they go full gallagher <laughs> there's there's, there's <laughs> some surprise they didn't show that piece of the effect there was but yeah. yeah so yeah that so i think that uh that gives our our listeners there a very clear picture of of what to expect out of out of uh, Ben Wheatley's Free Fire. Uh, so what have you got uh, coming up next in your uh, viewing list? It's we're at the tail end of summer. Are there things you're, you're starting to catch up on that you missed or anything that's well, coming up I on your list? 
when we I don't know if you noticed when we got on the phone or on our recording together here, but there's something, you know, I'm in Portland, Oregon, and there's something coming up this weekend that I may or may not go see. But uh, I was I found it kind of special that they're doing a Xanadu sing along <laughs> at a theater okay. in downtown Portland this weekend. And I am very uh, affectionate with the movie Xanadu, uh, both the music and the kitschy, terrible, dated, <laughs> you know, totally irrelevant story that Xanadu puts out. So uh, the, I, <laughs> I just found out about tonight. I don't know if I'm going to go, but Saturday night they're doing a Xanadu sing-along, and I, I, I've got my eyes on that one. How about you? What are you going to see next? <laughs> okay. Since you are willing to confess that, then I guess yeah. I, I can go out and <laughs> – and say that I just discovered that the Alamo Draft House that we have here in Tempe is doing a sort of audience participation viewing of Bring It On. Which yeah. Is, I, Peyton Reed's yes, masterpiece. Yes, exactly. And for a while I would call that a guilty pleasure, but now I just embrace that as no, this is this, take it. this is like a classic film that has just you know, it spawned a ridiculous franchise, but there are so many great things and about that. And wrote film. his ticket to directing Ant Man. Like that, I, I mean, learning about his story with Bring It On makes me appreciate his direction so much more. That that's great. You should definitely do that. And Eliza Dushku. Yes, I mean, oh. great stuff. So, Love so it. many. So that's that's coming up. Uh, that may be a date night that my wife and I do to go out for the uh, audience participation. Real Union. Yes, that's a good. Oh, movie. it's ah. solid. So it's, yeah, it's tough in the summer. There's so many things out there, but there's some of these classics. The opportunity to see them out there on the big screen again is really hard to pass up. That's right. Go have some fun. See something schlocky. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Because you got to have fun. Love it. For our listeners out there, if you haven't already, please head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. It helps other film fans discover us, and we hope you will help other people discover us because there's nothing more thrilling than discovering a group of like-minded film lovers online. It's like finding a gang you fit in with, and you can put cardboard armor on to protect them. <laughs> from infection. That's right. Protection from infection. But My South African <laughs> accent is terrible. I have no accent skills as well. <laughs> But the best thing you can do is watch a movie with a friend and then sit down and have a conversation about it. And if it's one that has been discussed on any of our shows, please let us know. Drop us a line. Shoot us an email. We would love to hear from you. I want to shoot out some special thanks to Pete Wright for taking the time out of his busy schedule to edit this into a coherent conversation. JJ, it's been a pleasure. Good night. Talk to you soon. Hondo. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. 
If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January. Or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. 